church. Thanks so much for being with us this morning. I want to invite you guys to stand up and join us as we get to worship in the house of the Lord.
Good morning. It's a good day to come to church. Hey, I got good news for you. You made it here to church. That's very good news. Um, I like what St. Augustine had to say. <clears throat> he says, God, you have created us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until we find rest in you. And I think what Augustine is saying, he's pointing out two principles. Number one, he's saying that we're not the creator of our own world, but this transcendent God has created us for his glory. And number two, he's transcendent, but he's also imminent. He desires to come close to us. He desires for us to open up our life, open up our heart and, and totally uh, submit to him. And so I wanna encourage you here this morning, if your heart is restless, if you're fighting some things, if there's a battle going on in your heart, would you take the time, even in worship, just to center yourself around God? Have faith in God here this morning. There's joy in the house of the Lord because God is here. Draw near unto God. That's my encouragement for you all today. Amen. Let us read Psalm chapter 8 as our call into worship. We're going to read the entire psalm. And as we read this, I want you to focus on the transcendence and the imminence of this great creator God. Let's read together. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. All right, friends, we introduced a song last week. I hope you remember it. Jesus, he is always with us. Thank 
let's clap our hands today. Let's get into the message of the song. For every lie that speaks against us, His blood declares we are forgiven.
Sing it again. You freed the captives. You freed the captives. Your freeing hearts right now. You are the same. Yes, you are, God. You are the same. You touch the lepers. I feel your touch right now. You are the same. All right, now let's use this space just to reach out to the Lord. Come on, lift up your voice. Lift up your voice in worship and in praise. Begin to thank and memorize his name. You're the same God. Oh, come and meet us here this morning. Come and meet us. Come and meet us, Lord. Friends, all across this room, would you just posture your heart in a position of receiving from the Lord right now? As we were singing on the faithfulness of God's character that has been proven from generation to generation, from the moment that God revealed himself to humanity as a creator, to the moment that he revealed himself as Savior and Redeemer, he's always been revealing the consistency and the faithfulness of who he is. There are times, though, when we lose sight of that. There are times when we take our eyes off of the enduring, unchanging character and the nature of God. But guys, the life of following Jesus or the life of Christianity is a life of faith. It is a life of faith. Faith is a gift that God gives you. It's a grace. We don't have to conjure faith up, but we can partner with God in growing and in strengthening our faith. And as we were singing this song, I just felt in my spirit that in this room today, there are some that need to have their faith strengthened. They need to have their faith reawakened. That need to have their faith reactivated or re-energized. And so I want to pray with you, but I want to read this over you first out of Hebrews chapter 10. Beginning in verse 35 through the end of the chapter, Hebrews 10, verse 35 says, So do not throw away your confidence.
For those that are in the room today right now that are on the verge of throwing away your confidence, God sees you. He cares. He cares about your confidence. He cares about the state and the status of your faith. He cares about the fragility of your faith. You know, when Jesus was walking the earth, there was a man who had a son who was possessed by a devil. And that father brought his son to the disciples and he says, will you do something about this? I'm at my last rope. I'm at my wit's end. And then Jesus finally comes off the mountain. And the man says something that I think is so powerful and it's so pertinent to every single one of us. He says, Jesus, will you, I believe, I believe. And yet, even as I say that I believe, I'm asking if you'll help my unbelief. I think a lot of times we think in these, like, these dichotomies when it comes to faith. But friend, I want to encourage you that it's possible to have faith and have unbelief at the very same time. God, I believe. And yet, even as I say that I believe that you're going to come through, that you're going to heal my body, that you're going to restore my marriage, that you're going to work out that business situation, even while I say that I believe there's still something inside of me that I realize that I don't believe to the degree that I could believe, and I'm asking that you will help my unbelief, right? So friends, do not cast away your confidence because it will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And but my righteous one will live by faith. Friends, you are living the life of faith. You are living the life of faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Friends, if you're here today and you would just say, Pastor, that's me. I need my faith strengthened today. Help my unbelief. Will you just throw your hands up in the air? I want to pray for you. Hey, God. Those of you who are around them, would you just stretch forth your hands or lay a hand on a shoulder if you know that person? I want faith to rise in the room today, church, and I need your help. I can't carry this assignment alone. I need you to work with me. I need you to work with the invitation of the Holy Spirit right now. Pray all across this room. Lift up your voices. Lift up your prayer language. Let scripture flow out of you. Lend your faith to someone right now in this space. God, in the name of Jesus, we pray that faith would arise. Let faith arise. Let faith arise. In the name of Jesus, let faith arise. Let faith arise and the constancy and in the consistency of your character, God, let faith arise. The same God who healed then is the same God who heals now. For you are not a man that you should lie. For you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are a God who delivers. God, I pray right now for that son that is strung out on addictive abuse. God, right now I pray that you would come and you would break in and you would break through. God, I pray that you would bring forth deliverance to every one of our sons and daughters, to every one of our spouses, our neighbors, our friends, our family members who are bound up in addiction, who are bound up in yokes of oppression. You are the God who delivers. These are not just cute songs to get us worked up for a message, God. This is reality of the kingdom because this is who you are. 
So I pray for the delivering power of God to be made manifest in our lives and to those that we care about and to those that we are crying over and to those that we are weeping over. Oh God, come heal and come save and come resurrect and come deliver in the name of Jesus. Let your faith arise, church. Come on, Seth, let's just go back into that with another wave of strength. Let's partner with this. Friends, God is faithful. I said God is faithful. I'm going to keep saying it until it gets down into your bones, till it goes from this cute little Christian thing, till it gets down into your DNA. God is faithful. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never give up on you. And he will not give up on what he's promised. And even when it seems like everything around you circumstantially is working against that, what you believe that God has promised, God is not a man that he should lie. And whether it happens in this age or it happens in the age to come, I'm just here to announce to you and to remind you that it is absolutely impossible for God to say that he's going to do something and not do it. So here's, I just want to pastor you here for one minute and then we'll jump back into worship. So if you find yourself in this place, and listen, we all find ourselves in this place. There are no superheroes in the faith. All right, it is a facade. It is a facade for us to presume that we're never gonna struggle with our faith. Struggling with our faith is a part of growing in our faith. It's a necessary part of the journey. You need internal adversity in order for internal resilience to be built in your faith. So just welcome it. 
and say, God, pastor me through my faith struggle right now. And he is faithful to bring you heavenly and sovereign perspective that will re-fortify your faith. And you will come out on the other side of this faith struggle stronger than when you came in. So just, I want to go, I want to go back to the basics, right? The scripture says that faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing. So what are you hearing? You've got to feed on the word of God. You've got to remind yourself of truth, right? So find the scriptures that remind you of who God is. Number two, revisit and recall and remember. It's like what we're, that's what we're doing right now. You got to remind yourself of what God has done. And if he did it then, he'll do it now. And if he'll do it now, he'll do it throughout all of eternity because that's just who God is. Number three, you got to pull sometimes on the community of faith. Listen, you're not like the life of faith is not a solitary life where you've got to be strong on your own. Sometimes we borrow the faith of other people. This is why being rooted in a community is so important where you can come and say, guys, I need to borrow your faith. I need to lean on your faith. I need you to give me some of your faith. I need you to strengthen and fortify me in your faith because there's going to come a day when you're going to need me to fortify you in your faith. That's what the life of faith is all about. And then finally, listen, I just want to encourage you. I know it just, it probably sounds like insanity, but when you find yourself in a place like we are today, I want to encourage you to sing it and say it until you feel it. Don't wait to sing it until you feel it. You sing it and you say it until you feel it. That's how faith works, right? You speak that, you sing that, and all of a sudden before you know it, there's a release of a grace. Friends, I'm I'm teaching you today how to live the life of faith, all right? How to weather adversities and storms and dry spells and mundane, boring seasons of the Christian life because they will happen, but the righteous shall live by faith. Amen? All right, let's go back into this next song. All right, friends, let's lift up our hands, holy hands, high to heaven. And let's take it at the bridge. You heard your children. You heard your children then. You hear your children now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You answered prayers back then. And you will. Yes, sing it by faith. You are the same God. You are the same God. You were providing then. You are providing now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You You moved in power then. God moved in power now. You are the same God. You are the same He's a healer.
posture of worship, but I was going to share almost exactly what Pastor Jade shared, and I felt that at five o'clock this morning when I was up and praying and thinking about what, what might God have in this moment of this service. And <laughs> I'm tempted to preach, but I'm not. I got that out of my system the last two weeks ago. But I do want to say, here's one, one little thing. We were going to sing another song, and because of time, we're not, and we're going to preach and come to the table. But the next song we were going to sing is Living Hope, and the first line of that song is How Great the Chasm That Stood Between Us. And here's my, my sealing word on this moment, is we are gathered not as the people who finally figured out how to cross that chasm. Not, we are not the people who finally, after thousands of years of living in existence, finally got our collective brains together and figured out, and we have the secret. No, we are the ones who finally came to the realization by the power of the spirit operative in our lives that we can't ever cross that chasm and God has crossed it for us. So whatever chasm you're facing in this moment, it might not be the chasm of sin and death, the ultimate chasm that Jesus has crossed for you. But here's the good news, friends. Whatever chasm you're facing now, it's smaller than that one. It's much smaller than that one. And look around this room. You are not the only person having ever faced what you are facing. There are people in this room who have come out on the other side when they didn't think they would. There are people in this room that can testify to the faithfulness of God when they were facing the darkest night and the darkest moment of their lives. And so, Lord, I pray that this reality of Jesus crossing this chasm to come and rescue us would sink so deep into our minds, our bodies, and our spirits, our mind, will, and emotions. Lord, let it permeate every ounce of being that we occupy. And I pray that there would be nothing we come in contact with that can quench out that faith, just as Jesus prayed for Peter. Peter, the enemy has asked to sift you, but I have prayed that your faith may not fail. Jesus is still praying that for you and for me today, the one who crossed the chasm we could never cross to bring us back to relationship with the Father. Amen. We give on Sundays also as a testament to faith. Christians are the ones, not the only ones, but we are the ones who say, Lord, we trust you so much. We are going to live off of a percentage of what you have given us because we know we can't do it off of all of it. Think about how counterintuitive that is. The people of God say, if we live off everything we have, it will never be enough. But if we entrust some as a testament to who God is and what he's done in our lives, then we trust, Lord, that you can do anything. And so we give. There is a giving liturgy. It will be up on the screens. Let us pray this aloud in faith together. Here we go. Father, you are the abundant giver of all good things. Train us to delight in holy dependence and lead us to honor you with all our resources. Free us from the deceit of greed and earthly riches. Teach us to live generously with open hands and joy-filled hearts that we might receive abundantly and flourish for the sake of others 
and your purposes in the earth. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Midtown, for being these kinds of people who go with us in moments like this. We trust that wherever you are at in your journey with the Lord, if you are one who gives, we say yes and amen, and we bless it, whether it's online throughout the week or this morning. There are four ways to give. It'll be up on the screen. Um, All right. Well, here we are. It's tough to come out of moments like these, but we're not coming out. We're just transitioning. So our children, we're about to leave Uh, and send them off to their classes. Parents, if you are with kids, please lay hands on them. And as a way of blessing them, we together pray the Lord's Prayer over them as we, as Jesus taught us to pray, are teaching them to pray. So let's lift our voices. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Children, we bless you and we send you to children's ministry to go and learn. All right, adults of Midtown, greet each other in the name of Jesus, and we'll be back with you in just a moment. Good morning, everyone. That's right, I'm back. (laughs) Oh, you guys, it's so good to see you all this morning. I just got my contact uh, prescription refilled, and I can actually see you all this morning. It's fantastic. You look great. Well, my name is Lauren Oscom. I am on staff here at New Life Midtown, and here at New Life Midtown, you know, we're a part of eight congregations throughout the city speaking three different languages. And it's really neat because every single congregation has their own flavor. We each carry our own culture, but all eight of us are united in the Lord and following after one man, and that is Jesus Christ. Amen. And you know, 
every other month we have an event called New Life Next, and we have a New Life Next coming up next week. So maybe you've been a part of the New Life family in other congregations, and you've just started coming here, or maybe you're new to New Life in general, and this might be your first week, and I just want to invite you to come to New Life Next. It's our guest lunch that will really help you understand who we are and our culture here at Midtown. You know, I just had the pleasure to go to Eswatini, Africa with a team from our church. And this is my second time going back. And my first time I went, you know, they speak a different language, Siswati. And they're all speaking together. And I'm just sitting there and it's just noise. Like, I don't understand any of it. You know, like, it's a new culture. I don't really know what's going on. But I'm enjoying what I'm seeing. I'm enjoying their smiles. I'm enjoying all of this. But this time going back, I took the time to watch YouTube videos and read and study the language more. So this time, I was able to participate. I was able to understand and pick up on things they were saying. And there was just a difference when we get to be a part and then when we get to participate with the joy that's happening. And I think that's what New Life Next will really do for you. Because you might be here and you might be sensing that there's something different about Midtown or the spirit is at work. And coming to New Life Next will give you language and will help you understand so that you can participate with the work of God in this house. So I invite you to come next week. It'll be after second service at 1230. We'll serve a lunch. And if you're interested, we have ushers in the back. They have invite cards with QR codes on them. So if you'll just raise your hand and sign up for that event, anybody, we'll just, I'll give you time for it. You can also sign up online, but registration will be closed on Wednesday. So please sign up by Wednesday just so we can order enough food and know who's coming. And without further ado, y'all, Pastor Jay Duncan is also back from Eswatini. So let's give him a warm welcome. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. How many of you came to Midtown for the very first time, either last week or the week before? Just by show of hands, I want to say hello, hello, and hello, and welcome. And I'm Jay Duncan. And I've been here with my wife and my family 19 years, pastoring the same church, and we are just absolutely delighted to have all of you. So uh, I think ushers are still coming around. For those of you who are interested in joining our New Life Next Lunch in two weeks, no, next Sunday, right? Just throw that hand up, and usher will get an invite card into your hand so you can respond so we can be prepared for you. Okay, well, let's get after it, shall we? Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings chapter 1. If you are new with us today, we have been on a series called Kings and Kingdoms. And we are now in the fifth installment of this series. Pastor Jonathan did a marvelous job teaching and preaching on the... Come on, that's right. I'm telling y'all, he's one of the best. Y'all do, y'all do not realize what a gift you have in that man right there and his wife. They are some of the most treasured gifts in this house. And uh, he preached on Saul the first king of Israel, and he preached on David, the greatest king of Israel. And uh, we are finally now, after four weeks into our fifth week, we are finally in the book of 1 Kings. So 1 Kings chapter 1, and read with me if you would. I'm going to read the first six verses, and I'm I'm just going to run really, really fast so we can get to some places before we come to the table. Beginning in verse 1, when King David was very old, say very old. Y'all, there's old, and then there's very old. He could not keep warm even when they put covers over him. So his attendants said to him, let us look for a young virgin to serve the king and take care of him. She can lie beside him so that our lord the king may keep warm. 
And then they searched throughout Israel for a beautiful young woman and found Abishag, a Shunammite, and they brought her to the king. The woman was very beautiful. She took care of the king and she waited on him, but the king had no sexual relations with her. Now Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, put himself forward and said, I will be king. So he got chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. His father had never rebuked him by asking, why do you behave as you do? He was also very handsome, and he was born next after Absalom. We're going to talk about Adonijah next week. He's going to get his own special message. But today what I want to do is I want to close out the life of David by asking the question, how do you spend your strength? How do you spend your strength? Let's pray. Holy Spirit of the living God, I'm asking right now that you would come and that you would bring insight and illumination and revelation from the word of God. That you would point us to Jesus and you would point us to the gospels through the preaching of the scriptures. You promise that when the gospel is preached that you are present in that space. And Jesus, I trust that you are present in this space. So speak to us. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Give us minds that will comprehend and understand. And Father, give us hearts, most importantly, that are tender and receptive to the truth of your word. That will bring life change. That will transform us into the very image of Jesus, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe Pastor Jonathan had ended his message last week at the end of 2 Samuel chapter 24. We found that David, in really the height, kind of the height of his leadership, uh, makes a poor decision. And he is beginning to lean on his own strength, so he wants to count the army the people that are in the army, so that he can uh, put his confidence and his strength in the amount of people that he has in his army. And then he realizes by way of rebuke from God that he has overstepped and that he has moved himself out of the place of trusting in the strength of God and he has moved himself into the place of trusting in his own strength and in his own ability. And when he does this, God meets out discipline to David, and David responds as he has so consistently done by acknowledging, by receiving, by repenting, and by worshiping. What I find is very, very fascinating is at the end of 2 Samuel chapter 24, it ends on verse 24 and verse 25, that this book, which really is, in a lot of ways, the book end of David's life and ministry, it ends with David buying a threshing floor and making an offering to the Lord. And then boom, it's over. So where you, you end 2 Samuel thinking, my God, he's still the same man that we all know and that we have loved and that we have fallen in love with, that's David. And then 1 Kings chapter 1 opens up and somewhere between 2 Samuel 24 verse 25 and 1 Kings chapter 1, there's a whole lot of time that takes place. Because somewhere between David repenting and buying a threshing floor and offering sacrifices and repentance to God, we find 1 Kings chapter 1 verse 1 open up by very simply saying that now David is very old. He ain't just old, he's very old. And I think one of the things that the scripture is trying to teach us constantly is that time is an immutable element that God has placed in 
the world of humanity. Like one of the most constant things that you and I will run into is the unchanging nature of time. I read an author many years ago, a lady by the name of Beth Felker Jones, and she was writing about anthropology, which very simply is the study of mankind or humanity. And Beth Felker Jones, who is a scholar, a very well-renowned scholar, said that to be human is to be finite. That's what it means to be human. To be God is to be infinite. It means that you have no limitations, you have no boundaries, that God knows no limitation with time. But to be human means the exact opposite. It means that every single one of us have limitations. And so as we look at David's life, we look at the zenith of his power, we look at his charisma, we look at giants that he has slayed, we look at his passion for God, and then we come to 1 Kings chapter 1, it, it, it feels in a lot of ways very jarring, very anticlimactic, very shocking to, to spend two entire books of the Bible reading about this man's prowess and power and position and strength and then for it to end with him being very old, so old that he can't even warm himself and he needs another human body in order to help him just remain functional. So he's cold and he's old and he's fragile and he's impotent and he's ignorant. He's not even aware of what's going on in the kingdom, as you'll find later if you read 1 Kings chapter 1. There are these conspiracies that are taking place, and David's out to lunch because he is just in self-preservation mode. Friends, every single one of us in this room are going to get old. And you can fight it, and you can resist it, and you can try to faith your way out of it, and you can try to do all of those things, and I'm going to live to 120, and whatever it is that you try to do to cope with the reality, but I'm here to announce to you the faithful news that every single one of us are going to get old. And I think that when we don't acknowledge that, when we fight and we buck against that in a way that is not healthy, what happens is, is that when we do get old, we actually have a very, very challenging time with our oldness. We're in denial. That denial turns into anger because we have not wrestled enough with the reality of the finiteness of our humanity that allows us just to relinquish control and surrender and say, God, you're the one who never gets old and help me by your grace to acknowledge and accept the limitations that come with being human. To be human is to be limited. To be human is to die. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, is a very sobering verse of Scripture. I memorized this verse when I was a young kid. I was a part of this informal internship program, and I found it very strange that my mentor, who was discipling at that, me at that time, had me memorize this verse. But as a young 16-year-old boy, I have not forgotten Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 which says, in the NIV, it says, just as people are destined to die once, and then after that face judgment. The King James Version, in which I memorize it in, says, it is appointed unto man once to die, which means that every human being, even Jesus himself, to live the human experience is to experience not only life, but it's also to experience death. 
If you read throughout the scriptures, you find that God doesn't shy away from that. He doesn't hide this from us. Beginning with the first man and with the first woman, beginning with Cain and Abel, we see that death is a reality throughout the entirety of the scripture. And we find that those who are fortunate enough to grow old, they experience limitation and they experience a waning of strength and a waning of power. Think about what Jesus says to Peter in John chapter 21 when Jesus is having his final discourse with Peter and he says to him, you, when you were young, you could make decisions for yourself. You could go where you wanted to. You could lead yourself. But Peter, there's coming a day when you're going to get old and you're going to stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and someone else will lead you where you don't want to go. Growing old, to grow old is to also grow dependent. It is also to grow weak and frail physically. We find when Paul is in the latter years of his life, he's writing his young son in the faith. We find in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, that Paul is writing from prison, and he writes to Timothy, and he says, hey, Timothy, I, I need you. I need you to be present with me. I'm in the twilight years of my life. I'm doing a lot of analysis, a lot of evaluation, a lot of reflection. I don't know how much longer I have. And Timothy, when you come, will you please bring my jacket and bring my papers? Even Paul, in the latter years of his life, we find him weak and frail and dependent. Look at Psalm chapter 90, verse 12 with me. See, we, could, we can either avoid the reality of aging and we can avoid the reality of our limitation or we could learn how to embrace it in God and adjust in the right grace-filled, spirit-directed way. Psalm 90, verse 12, I believe, gives us a key on how to deal with the unchanging reality of time and life that are, that are constantly moving forward. And here's the key, very simply. The psalmist says in Psalm 90, verse 12, Oh God, would you teach us then to number our days? Listen to the limitation in that. I have four beautiful, amazing children, and I feel like on a very regular basis, I am numbering our days. My daughter is a sophomore now, which means that I just have uh, one, maybe like definitely two, and maybe just three summers of a family vacation west left with my daughter before she goes off to college. I'm numbering my years with her. I got my son in the wings who's in the eighth grade. He and I were having a conversation just yesterday about the fact that it's been so special that I've been able to be a coach on his team last year and this year. But again, looking at the reality of the limitation of my time and the demand of what ninth grade football will require. And one in the wings, my son said, dad, I don't know if you're going to coach me next year. And I'm really sad about that. We're learning how to number our days. There's something about limitation that actually increases value, right? Like if we just had an, an infinite number of days with the people that we love, we would be so prone to taking every one of those days for granted. But because we are so acutely aware or it, to the degree that we become acutely aware of the limited amount of time that we have with people, it has the ability and the potential to increase the value that we place because there is no infinite thing in the life of a human being. 
Walk with me if you would, you guys. I know this is a little bit of a weighty message. This isn't the greatest message to preach coming back off the mission field. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 20, verse 29 is a scripture that came to my mind as I read 1 Kings 1.1. And it says very simply that the glory of young men or young women is their strength. But gray hair is the splendor of the old. I want you to just sit on that for a moment. The glory of young people is their strength. But gray hair is the splendor of the old. And if you're familiar at all with wisdom literature of the Old Testament, you know that it's not just speaking of physical gray hair. But it's speaking of wisdom. It's speaking of a life that is well lived. It's speaking of those who have lived their lives with a measure of intentionality, with their eye to the future, that informed their decisions in the present, that put them on a trajectory that when they get older, they're in a position of actually being wiser. And they can steward that wisdom to garner authority and influence for future generations. But the glory of young people is their strength. The scripture also speaks very much about things that we could give our time to that are both lasting and eternal and that are fleeting and fading. What comes to my mind is a proverb that says that charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. You know, a lot of times young people will give their time or they'll spend their strength on becoming beautiful. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. Making sure that you have the right clothes and that you're keeping up with the right image and that you're making sure that people have the right picture out there on the social media world so that you can be perceived as beautiful. You can give your strength to becoming beautiful. But I'm here to announce to you today that the more you live, the more that that beauty will become fleeting. And if you place the weight and the value of your identity in your physical appearance, you will find that that beauty will fade away. We also find the scripture tells us that chasing after money is like chasing after something that once you get your hands on it, it disappears because we shouldn't spend our strength on trying to become rich because money can like grow wings and fly away. But a lot of people, they'll invest the strength of their youth into becoming wealthy. Isn't that right? Come on, talk to me today. We can spend the strength of our youth on trying to become wealthy I'm reminded of a story that Jesus told where there was a man who had amassed so much in material resources that he didn't know what to do with it. So he tore down his current barn and built a bigger barn so that he could just keep all the stuff that he had. Friends, you ain't going to take the stuff with you when you go. So the world is, remember the world and the enemy are in a conspiracy to lie to you. They're in a conspiracy to lie to you. They're in a conspiracy to, uh, to get you to believe that what you're spending your strength on has eternal value, but it doesn't have eternal value. It has temporary fleeting value. So the scripture tells us that beauty is fleeting, and the scripture tells us that wealth is fleeting, but scriptures also tells us that power and strength are fleeting, And these really are, I think, three of the primary things that we invest our emotional and mental and physical energy, time, and strength on. We try to become more beautiful so that we can become accepted. We try to become wealthy so that we can become self-sufficient. And we we try to become politically or relationally powerful. 
And the scripture shows us a completely different way on each and every one of these things. Today I'm talking to three different groups of people. I'm talking to those who are young, and I've got a word for you today. The word for you is that the propensity in our youth is to spend our strength on ourselves. Come on, think about it. It always makes me giggle a little bit when I run into a single person who is so busy and they're so exhausted and they're so, right? I just giggle because I'm like, bro, just wait, y'all, you just wait, right? You hanging out till 4 a.m. playing Call of Duty and you're so exhausted because you don't have any time. Yeah, you just throw a couple of kids up in that mix and we'll have a conversation later. But we just have this propensity, like it's, it's, part of it's just not even fair because we have nobody else in our orbit to think about but ourselves. And so we have this tendency when we're young, when we think about what are you going to spend your money on? I'm going to spend it on me. What are you going to spend your time on? I'm going to spend it on me. What are you going to spend your strength on? I'm going to spend it on me. Me becoming better and me becoming wealthy and me becoming more powerful and me becoming more beautiful. But if we're fortunate enough to have some wisdom along the way as we get a little bit older, not quite old, but not quite young, we might be fortunate to have some people that are in our life that mean something to us. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a circle of friends. Maybe it's a church group. Maybe it's children, but we begin to realize that a life lived only investing in ourselves is a life that is also fleeting and fruitless. So we begin in the middle season of our lives to begin investing into the people that are closest to us, and we find that that is one of the most richly rewarding things that we can do with our strength. And then if we're fortunate enough to stay on this path of wisdom, we'll find that when we get a little bit older, that the most important thing that we can invest our strength into is the things that will outlive us. Some of those things might be people that you will never even meet. People that you're warring over in the spirit in the place of prayer. People that you're investing into that live halfway across the world. People like your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren or holding babies in the nursery or just giving your time and giving your energy and giving your strength away to something that will outlive you, you begin to discover that that really is the most fruitful thing that we can do with our strength. I love this verse. The glory of young men is their strength, but gray hair, wisdom, 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 The fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, is the splendor of the old. I think one of the questions that we can ask ourselves that help calibrate this for us is what kind of person are you going to be when you're in the twilight years of your life? When you're not as functional and you're not as powerful and maybe you don't carry the titles and the positions, maybe you're not as beautiful, maybe you're not as wealthy, Maybe you don't carry or curry the same amount of respect or authority in the room. What kind of person are you going to be in that season of your life? When you can't rely on the physical elements of your strength, what kind of person are you going to be? This is a fear of the Lord kind of question that leads us to wisdom. I've been fortunate enough over the past several months and even years now to run into some of you that are, for me, a north star of the kind of man that I want to become in the latter years of my life. I walked in this morning. I had a conversation with sweet Miss Wanda, who just turned 94 years old yesterday. 
She's in church every time the doors open. She comes over to me after every, every message, connects with me, grabs my hand, looks deep into my eye, and even when I blow it, which most of the time I do, she gives me the sweetest and most encouraging word with that twinkle in her eye. You just stay in there, son. You're going to make it someday. <laughs> no, she's not that condescending. On the contrary, on the contrary, I feel so much strength when Miss Wanda comes over and she encourages me. To hear the voices of mothers and fathers who have lived twice my age, who, who, who choose to become an encourager. Like, friends, I, I, I want to humbly place this in you, and this is going to be a hard word, but I want to humbly place this in your lap. And here's the word. You don't become the kind of person that you want to become by accident. And the longer you live, the harder it is to become the kind of person that you want to be. Come on, let's talk. Let's talk today. It is difficult to change. The older that you get, I'm telling you, things that you didn't break when the cement was wet in your personality, in your sin struggles, in your attitude, in your complaining, all of those things, you are practicing every day who it is that you're going to be in the latter years of your life. You wake up and all you can see is negativity and criticize and fold your arms and you know what, you're practicing who you're going to be and it compounds the older that you get. It compounds. And I'm not here to say that things are impossible because nothing is impossible with God. But if you are sober enough and if you are honest enough with yourself and with me, you would say it is hard to change. We get into a rut. We get into a routine. We pick up a pattern. It cuts grooves that are deep in the way that we live life, and before you know it, it is just, it feels impossible to break out of those character dysfunctions. So friends, if you're younger, start that journey now. Determine now, do I want to be gracious? Do I want to be kind? Do I want to be somebody who is constantly pushing people away? Do I want to be warm? Do I want to be friendly? Do I want to be passionate for God? Do I want to have strength for the things of God? Those things don't come accident. And when I think about David's life, I think about a lot. I mean, you find the young shepherd boy David when nobody else is around. In the years when he should be out there making a name for himself, he's burying himself in obscurity and he's building something with God that is going to sustain him in the middle ages of his life. Young people, listen to me. I want to, oh God, I want to say to you today, if I could say, if I could take every single one of you guys out to Dutch Bros and sit across the table from you, here's what I would tell you. Spend the strength of your youth getting to know who God is. I thank God that at an early age that God grabbed a hold of my life. And I thought even this morning in the early hours that I'm still reaping dividends on the investments that I made in my relational history with God when I was 15 and 16 and 17 years old. Those kinds of deposits, they will stick with you for the rest of your life. 
And then if you think about David in the early years of his life, when he was building that foundation of faith and building that foundation of intimacy, learning how to be a worshiper, learning how to express and to articulate his heart in God, learning how to trust God. Trusting God is a muscle that must be developed in adversity. It's not automatic. It doesn't just happen. You have to learn the discipline of trusting God. It takes work. It takes intentionality. It takes effort. It takes discipline. And we find that when David gets to the middle years of his life, that David then begins to invest in the people that are around him. One of my favorite little parts of David's life is when we see this band of warriors that are surrounded with him. In part of David's journey, we find that those people that were distressed and discontented and in debt were actually drawn to David when he was running for his life. And somehow, some way, what he had built in his spiritual DNA began to affect these men that had drawn themselves around him. He began investing into the people that were closest to him. Then we find here, as David is... On his deathbed, a very fascinating thing happens in the latter years of his life. Look with me at verse 28. We've discovered that his now oldest son, he's not the oldest because his actual oldest had been killed, but Adonijah is the next oldest who is living, has decided to take advantage of his father's frailty and make himself king. And so when David becomes aware of this, by his wife, Bathsheba, and one of his most trusted counselors, a prophet by the name of Nathan, something gets animated inside of David. Look with me, if you would, at verse 28. Then King David said, when he becomes aware of this conspiracy, King David said, call in Bathsheba. So she came into the king's presence, verse 28, and stood before him. And the king took an oath, as surely as the Lord lives, who has delivered me out of every trouble, I will surely carry out out this very day what I swore to you, babe, by the Lord, the God of Israel. Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne in my place. And then from here, David begins to just chop things up and break it all down. He's decisive. He's animated. He's energized. What happened? David tapped back into purpose. This doesn't sound like the first Kings chapter one, verse one, David, who's curled up in a fetal position trying to get warm. Are you hearing me today? Those of you who are in the older seasons of your life, I want to encourage you today. I want to implore with you today. If there's breath in your lungs, there is purpose of God in your life. And I am imploring you as a young son in this house, find that purpose and give the rest of the strength of your days to that purpose. I believe with everything inside of me that when you give yourself to the purposes of God, it will make you feel like a young person again. Those of you in the house know who Steve Reynolds is, a man who is seasoned. He's been following God for decades, 50 plus years. He's in his 80s, and yet twice a year he travels to Mexico and stands on his feet 10 to 12 hours a day, two weeks solid, sleeping in his, a bed that is not his own and that is not comfortable. And he comes back after pouring into pastors for two weeks straight, more alive and more vigorous and more strong. And I say, Mr. Steve, how do you do that? He goes, when you do what you were put on the earth to do, there's no way that you get tired. Yesterday, we were watching our team struggle. 
We're watching Alabama look like, anyways, there, it, was, it was really rough. I'm just, I'm strapping in. It's going to be a long road for the Duncans. Listen, if I preach angry from now through the end of the college championships, I'm just letting you know right now, fair warning, it's because my team is awful, okay? So Saturday nights are going to get me out of the spirit, into the flesh, and some of that just might carry over on Sunday mornings. Give me grace. All right, we had some good years, and this one's not one of those. But I'm watching Coach Nick Saban, who's 72 years old out there and looking like a young man, strong, yelling at his boys at every play. And I'm like, dude, I want to be like that when I'm 72. Friends, that doesn't just happen. That happens by investing your strength in the younger years of your life into the things that matter, and it happens by touching purpose. This is what I see when I look at David's life, a man who touches purpose, and it has animated and energized and invigorated his life. And here's the sobering thing that I want to just place in your hands as we close this up. In the final verses of the narrative of David's life, we find that he gives his, his final breath of strength to two things. Look with me, if you would, at 1 Kings chapter 2. Look at verse 1. This is where that fear of the Lord hammer just drops. Beginning in verse 1, when the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said, so be strong and act like a man. And observe what the Lord your God requires. Son, walk in obedience. Keep his decrees. Keep his commands, his laws, and his regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. That if your descendants watch how they live and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. So here's David, and he's, he's cashing in on the final breaths of his strength by giving his son wisdom, by mentoring his son, by giving his son credibility, by leveraging his position and his power and his authority that he Uh, procured over a life of steady faithfulness in God, and now he's giving that to his son to set his son up on a life of fruitfulness. Friends, I want to say to you today that this is something that is good that we can always spend our strength on. But we find also, and this is the conundrum for me, that in the same breath that David says this, look with me if you would here at verse 8. First Kings chapter 2, verse 8, and he says, And remember, you have with you Shimei, son of Gera, the Benjamite from Bahurim, who called down bitter curses on me the day that I went to Mahanaim. When he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, I'm not going to put you to death by the sword. Look at verse 9. But now, do not consider him innocent, for you are a man of wisdom. You will know what to do to him. Just in case you don't know what to do, I'm going to tell you. Kill him. This is like, this is like the quintessential mafia moment in the entire Bible. Son, listen to me. <laughs> How many of you know the story of Shimei? You talked about it last week. Can I just read this story for you one more time, and I want to capsize, because this, this is such an important moment, and if you're not paying attention, you might miss what the scriptures are trying to do. Go with me, if you would, to 2 Samuel 16, then we're going to go back to the final verse 
of David's narrative story. 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 5. So David is on the run because his son Absalom has kicked him out of the country. David's running for his life. And while he is, you know, he's frustrated as a father, he's, he's afraid of what's going to happen, here's what goes on. Verse 5, as King David approached Bahirim, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there. His name was Shimei, son of Gera, and he cursed David as he came out. He pelted David and all the king's officials with stones, though all the troops and the special guard were on David's right. And you've got to be some kind of bold to pick up some rocks and throw them at the king when the secret service is right there. I mean, you've got to think about this. This man is some kind of bold. In verse 7, as he cursed, Shimei said, get out, get out, you murderer, you scoundrel. You are talking to the king right now. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood that you shed in the household of Saul in place you have reigned. The Lord has given the kingdom to the hands of your son, and you have come to ruin because you are a murderer. This is a man that is bloodletting. He's just letting out all of the frustration and all of the bitterness and all the poison that is in his soul because of who David is replacing Saul. Are you catching this? Verse 9, Abishai, son of Zariah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. We can do this, king. This, honestly, it'd probably be, feel really good right about now. Just let me just do this. Verse 10, the king says, what does this have to do with you, sons of Zariah? If he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, curse David, who can ask, why do you do this? Verse 11, David then said to Abishai and all his officials, my son, my own flesh and blood is trying to kill me. How much more then is this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look upon my misery and restore to me his covenant blessing instead of his curse today. So David and his men continued along the road while Shimei was going along the hillside, following them, cursing, accusing, mocking, ridiculing, throwing rocks at the king and his special guard. Let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 9. But now, don't consider him innocent. Son, you are a man of wisdom, and you will know what to do to him. Bring his gray head down to the grave in blood. It is very possible to think that we've actually dealt with offenses in our lives. It's very possible to think because we just got ourselves through the, through the season that we've done the difficult work of actually ridding ourselves of the root of bitterness from those who took advantage of us or attacked us or accused us in the most vulnerable parts of our life. And thank God that David, in that place of utter brokenness and humility, decided not to counterattack against Shimei. But here's what I think that is so, so sobering. Because, friends, look at the very next verse. The very next verse. The very last words that David utters are words of vengeance and retribution and bitterness. And then he dies. What do you spend your strength on? Because we find that when we peel back all of the layers of the complex layers of this beautiful man, 
who loved God and knew God and chased after God and spent his passion on God underneath all of those layers, there was still a hidden force of bitterness and anger that he carried with him through the remainder of all those decades. And it consumed him. What do you spend your strength on? That's sobering. That's sobering. And if I had time to lean in on this, what I would say is that none of us are as healed as we think we are. Friends, the work of forgiveness and the work of inner healing and the work of wholeness and the work of developing clean hearts is not a one-and-done activity. It is a laborious, intentional, grace-filled, spirit-empowered, sometimes very long process where we go back and we say, God, what is the thing that is still making me angry? Who are the people that I'm holding something against? Friends, I'm here to implore you today in the strength of your years, don't give your strength to bitterness. Don't give your strength to retribution. Give your strength to the purposes of God. You stand with me this morning as we come to the table. You know, we mentioned this little model here. We find it in David's life. We find it in our lives that when we're young, we can give our strength to ourselves in a good way or in a bad way. In the strength of our middle years, Our midlife years, we can give our strength to the people that are around us. And in the strength of our latter years, we can give our strength to the purposes of God in the next generation. I see this in Jesus' life, eh? When Jesus is young for 30 years in obscurity, he gives himself over. The strength of his youth, he gives to knowing who the Father is. And then Jesus launches out an intense ministry where he gives his strength to his disciples. And then in the twilight years of Jesus's life, he gives himself to grace and to forgiveness and to the redemptive purposes of God that will outlive him. And friends, this is what I believe God has for each and every one of us. My prayer today is that we would hear the word of the Lord and the spirit of wisdom today to give our best strength to the things that will live for eternity. Holy Spirit, right now, we welcome you. Speak to us. We want clean hands and a pure heart. Oh God, if anyone has offended us, if anyone has unjustly accused us or attacked us, if anyone has betrayed us or disappointed us or grieved us, Lord, if anyone has slandered our names when we felt like we were the most vulnerable today, we choose to release. We choose to forgive. Give us clean hands and a pure heart. God, we want to give our strength to the things that are eternal. We want to give our strength to the things that will be beautiful and good and peace-loving, God. We want to give our strength to salvation. God, I pray that you would speak to every one of us today. Those that are of us that are young, give us a vision for life in our older years. Those of us, God, that are in our 40s and 50s and 60s, Lord, help us to begin recalibrating the next season of our life. And those of us, God, who are a little bit older, Lord, I'm asking that you would reveal a fresh and a new divine purpose that animates us again like young people. We pray it in Jesus' name.
Amen. Friends, I want to invite you to the table of the Lord today. You can exit on your left. Come receive the pronouncement of the body broken for you, the blood shed for you, and we'll all take dinner together. Amen. Come on forward. Singing Christ Brothers and sisters, as you were coming to the table, I was so burdened for the moment of salvation. And we're going to come to the body and we're going to come to the blood in a moment. But before we do that, I want to take a moment just to very, very clearly encapsulate everything that's been done today in the language of the gospel of Jesus. 
Friends, you need to know today that God loves you very much. He loves you. He sees you. His heart is for you. No matter how much you have done or not done in regards to things that you think that he wants, there's nothing that you could ever do to earn the goodness or the grace or the forgiveness of God. As I was preaching this message, talking about how are we going to spend the strength of our youth and how are we going to finish well, friends, I just want to make very plain to you, there is absolutely no way that we can finish well without the goodness and the grace of God. Because the scriptures tells us that there is none that are righteous, not even one. Apart from God, there is no good thing inside of us, so there is no way that we could live good lives apart from the goodness of God extended to us in grace. And that grace was fully realized in the person of Jesus, God's one and only son who God sent into the world to be the ultimate redeeming sacrifice and substitute for our sins. Friends, I have another word for you. Those of you who are a little bit older and you're thinking I've squandered a lot of my life, I want you to know that we serve the God who redeems time. If you're here today and you might be in the older years of your life, it is never too late to say yes to God. It is never too late to receive grace and mercy. It is never too late to discover purpose. It is never too late to make things right, broken relationships. It is never too late to be saved. The scriptures tell us that now is the day of salvation. So God loves you. He's for you. Our sin separated us from him, but God's love chased us down in the person of Jesus. He was crucified by the hands of unjust people. He died for our sins. But friends, he was resurrected from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's alive today. And the scriptures tell us that if we call on the name of the Lord, we will be saved. So I want to invite you just now to close your eyes and bow your heads. And right now, if if you would say, that's me, I need to call on the name of the Lord. I'm not saved, but I want to be saved. Whether you're young, middle-aged, or old, if you're here today and you would say, I want to receive grace and I want to receive the goodness of God revealed in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, will you just throw your hand up because I want to pray specifically for you. I see your hand. Thank you, sweetie. Just throw your hands up really high. I see your hand in the back. Thank you, sweetie. Friends, the Father loves you. The Father loves you so much. Grace belongs to you. Forgiveness is yours. And today is the day of salvation. Church, let's pray this together. Almighty God, I receive your grace and I thank you for Jesus. Thank you for living. Thank you for dying. And thank you for resurrecting from the dead. I believe Jesus is Lord. Come be Lord of my life. I say yes in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, will you give a hand to those who made decisions today? Come on. No, this is ridiculous. Y'all need to clap because there are people that are in heaven right now. Like, yeah. Ah, you're right. You're like, we have juice in our hands. I'm going to have to rethink that one, bud. Maybe just like scream really, really loud. (laughs) Oh, now let's take a meal together. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. Let's break this in our hands. And he says, this is my body, which is broken for your wholeness and your healing and your life. Friends, let's take the body of Christ today. Hallelujah. And then he took the cup, which is the cup of redemption and the cup of atonement. 
that is found in his blood. And he says, this is my blood, which has been shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Today in this priestly row, I announce to you, your sins are forgiven by the life and the death and the blood of Jesus. Let us receive today. All right, now let's clap our hands. (laughs) Amen, amen, amen. A song of thanksgiving to the Lord, shall we? Y'all, I'm still laughing at y'all clapping your head right there. That was so silly, so hilarious. Man, I love you guys so much. Lift up your hands if you would. I want to bless you. I pray that the Lord be so near to you this week. Pray that the Lord smother you with kisses. The Lord draw near to you and pour his affection out upon you, that he surprise you with his goodness and his grace. Pray he speak to you this week. Pray that he comfort you. Pray that he give you clarity, clarity and clear guidance and direction. That the Lord fortify you, cover you that he would just smother you with the revelation of who he is, that he'd baptize you afresh and anew this week and empower you to join him in his mission in the earth. And I pray it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Friends, if you want prayer for your life in any way, we have people up here ready to pray for you. Go in the peace of God. Amen. God bless you.